Let's read about that living hope, shall we? Stand with me as we read from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. This is God's word. And if you let it, it will change your life. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Pray with me. Oh, Father, thank you for all you've done. Now, keep doing it. In this time, use your word to change us into the people you want us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. When Jesus spoke with Nicodemus on that night, Nicodemus comes to him with praise. Lord, we know that you've been sent from God because nobody uh, could do the works that you do except that God be with him. Nicodemus thought he was coming to pick Jesus' brain, maybe. Maybe he thought he was coming to heap some praise on Jesus and to ask some questions and to, to kind of find out a little bit more. I don't know if Nicodemus saw not only that he was someone who had been sent by God, but that he was God in flesh. Maybe his spirit was troubled because he just couldn't quite peg this Jesus down. And he needed, he needed to talk to him firsthand. Maybe he thought that this could be the Messiah. Maybe this is the one we've been waiting for. Maybe he just thought this is a good teacher of God and I need to find out just who he is and just what he does. I, I don't know exactly what's going on in Nicodemus's mind, but when he comes to Jesus, he comes with an opening of, of praise for Jesus being the one that God has sent. And Jesus immediately stops him in his tracks and says, verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Think about this from a Jewish perspective for a second. Everything the Jews are is based on them being sons of Abraham. Their whole identity is wrapped up in their birth. I am born to the people of Israel, therefore I am one of God's chosen people. Now devout Jews realize that it's not just because you're born to the right family, but because you honor God, you have the advantage of that birth. But even they put their identity first and foremost as sons of Abraham. Which is what's so astounding by the statement that your first birth was so screwed up you need to get born again. What do you mean it was screwed up? I'm born into the people of God. How can you say I need to be born again? The word might not be again uh, because it has two different meanings. It has the meaning begin, but it also has the meaning of from above. And I think that's part of where the confusion comes because we think of born again, a second kind of birth, we start to think along the lines of Nicodemus, right? We start to say things like, well, wait a minute. 
How can I go back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? That doesn't make sense. But I think Jesus is saying here, and it's confirmed uh, later on as he moves on. What Jesus is saying here is, look, your first birth wasn't enough. You need a different kind of birth. You see, it's not enough to be a son of Abraham. It's not enough to be born into the right family. It's not enough to have a specific lineage. You need a different kind of birth. And so he says, once again, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. I wonder if Peter has this conversation in mind as he writes 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. I wonder if Peter is tracking back to that, realizing now what all Jesus meant. I wonder if Peter is hearing the words of the Savior echoing and realizing that this people that he is talking to, these elected exiles who are all over the map, who are going to read his letter, who are going to, to find out as he walks through this identity that we have in Christ and these responsibilities that come about as part of that identity. I wonder if Peter doesn't have this conversation in the back of their mind and realizes the place I need to start is with this new birth. The place I need to start is with this second birth. You see, what's amazing about this is this, this, this birth that Jesus is talking about has a profound impact on who we are. Remember, the, the series is called Who Are We? Who Are We? And we talked about last time the fact that we were elected exiles, that, that God had chosen us and that we were not at home because we have a citizenship of another country. We belong to a different place. We belong to heaven. And here we are stuck on earth we don't really belong here. And we need to live like citizens of heaven while we're on this earth. Jesus put it this way. He said to be in the world, but not of the world. And sometimes we get that mixed up. Sometimes we go in the world and of the world. And we start to say things like, well, you know, the church can't really be mean or intolerant. So we just need to pick the right hills to die on. We, just, we, just, we need to save all our ammunition for the big fights. We need, to, we need to make sure that we don't step on people's toes and we're going to do everything we can to be sensitive to people who may not know Jesus yet. And so we're not going to preach the really difficult passages on Sunday mornings because we want all these people to come in and see the love of God. We, we can live that way. Like, well, you know, you got to look like them a little bit in order to reach them. you got to have common interests, right? So I get these tattoos so that I can, I can minister to people who have tattoos. I, I, I go to this bar so I can minister to the people at the bar. I, I don't talk a lot openly about Jesus. I just try to live a good life in front of them. So that they'll, so they'll finally come and ask me what, what it is, and, and I can tell them. I'll tell the jokes to get in with the crowd so that later on I can tell the crowd about Jesus. Now, Jesus called us to be in, but not of. And we can make the opposite problem, too. We can get out and not of. There's a whole community of folks. They're, they're, they're named the Essenes. They, were, uh, uh, they lived in Qumran, 
And they wrote a whole bunch of scrolls, the Dead Sea Scrolls, y'all heard of them, right? This community shunned everyone else. They basically locked themselves in their own community and tried to live out their faith in anticipation of God destroying everyone else because they were the only ones holding the true faith. We can't live like that. If Jesus didn't want us in the world, he'd have taken us out once we got saved. It's a good thing he didn't because I happened to be saved because somebody who was saved helped me come to know Jesus. So it's a good thing. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if that Sunday school teacher that led you to faith, if that parent that led you to faith, if that, that individual friend of yours who led you to faith, whatever, whatever that case was, can you imagine if they had disappeared off the face of the planet as soon as they accepted Jesus? You wouldn't have been saved. God would have had to do some kind of miracle to get you saved. Because he just used an ordinary person living in the world but not being of the world to show you the faith. Right? And so here we are with this conundrum of how do you live in the world but not of the world. And Peter's uh, audience here, they really have this conundrum. There's nobody systematically oppressing Christians at this point, but there are pockets of, of persecution. In fact, Peter's going to address some of that later in this letter. There's going to be specific leaders who are calling out Christians to deny their Lord and accept Caesar as Lord or risk being killed. There are certain leaders who, are, who, who will listen to and entertain the thought that these Christians are being uh, troublemakers. Let's put it that way. There were rumors that Christians would eat babies in communion. That's why they pick up the babies that other people are throwing out so they can eat them. That was, that was a legitimate rumor. There are all kinds of rumors about how these people are doing this, these terrible kinds of things. And, and, and so you can't get around the Christians. And oh, oh. And then they're subversive to society because they won't say Caesar is Lord. You know how many folks would just walk up uh, when they have to and say Caesar is Lord and yet not care a lick about Caesar otherwise? They'll just say it just to get it out, just to, just to get the, the authorities off their back. Yeah, I'll light a little incense. Yeah, I'll say Caesar's Lord. Yeah, I'll say this little prayer. But, but that's it. That's all it is. Now we, have the, now we have a lot of cases of the opposite problem, right? Where people say Jesus is Lord and they do their little thing and they get wet and they do, you know, they walk their aisle and all that kind of stuff. They say their prayer and, the, and there's nothing else to it. It's all just, I'm supposed to do this, so here I go. Why can't the Christians just do that? Why can't the Christians just follow along and just do it and not really mean it and then go back to their lives? I'll tell you why. Because we're in but not of the world. You see, God has called us to live a different kind of life. The kind of life that forces the issue. Look at Jesus. He doesn't walk around being everybody's friend. He calls, let's see, what does he call the Pharisees? He calls them brood of vipers hypocrites, sons of the devil, okay? That's not in the How to Make Friends and Influence People book, okay? That, that's, not, that's not seven effective strategies for good communication, okay? But it's true. You see, Jesus wasn't interested in making you feel good. Jesus was interested in reconciling you with God. And so we, we as Christians have this 
How do you live in the world and not be of the world? To be a good witness to the world, to be present among them, but not to be engaged in the same kind of activities that defile us along with them. And so part of our identity in Christ has to be how we live in this world as a different kind of people. And it starts with a new kind of a birth. We have to be a different kind of people first. Well, let, a couple of things about this new birth. First, the new birth is produced by God. It's God's initiative. It's not ours. How many of you chose who your mom and dad would be? Yeah, neither did I. Kind of happens, right? It's not really your choice. My mom and dad didn't choose to have me. They wanted to have a child. They didn't choose to have me. They didn't go, they didn't go to a, a, a they didn't go to a place where they could pick out the baby they were gonna have. They didn't send in a check to some mail order system and get a baby in the mail. Okay? They weren't looking around like we look in a store for a certain kind of doll or a certain kind of toy or a certain kind of, of, of box cereal to eat in the morning or anything like that. They're not the ones choosing me and I'm not the one who chose them either. This is all God's doing. That's why in the Hebrew the, and in the Greek, the words for to be born are both passive. It's something that happens to you. It's not something that you choose. It's not something that you start. It's God's initiative. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll come back to that part later. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. First, let me, let me point out. He births us by his great mercy. It's according to his great mercy. This isn't something that God does because he has to, because he's obligated to, because he said he would, and he doesn't really feel like it, but, you know, you can't break a promise. No, God has taken mercy on us. You know, when the person who, uh, the tax collector who is beating his chest, praying in the temple, God have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, this whole new birth, this whole second birth, this whole being born from above thing that, we talk, that we're talking about, it starts with God. And it starts in God's mercy. God is acting in mercy toward us. He doesn't have to save us. He wants to save us. He doesn't have to bring us into a new kind of life. He wants to. See, this is what makes, this is what makes God tick. This is, this is what really gets him going to impact someone's life enough to change them from the dirty, filthy, rotten sinner that he is and turn him into his own child, fashion him into his image to reconcile him. And that just makes God smile. Jesus said there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who don't need repentance. See, this makes God giddy. Not just happy. Not just pleased, but giddy. Man, man this, makes him, this makes him jump up with excitement. He bursts us by his great mercy. He loves us so much 
That He's willing to do the thing that we could never deserve, never earn, never repay. And it's just because God has great mercy. It's not because we're great, it's because He is great. He births us not only by His great mercy, but to a living hope. What's the difference between hope and a living hope? What's the difference between water and living waters? One commentator says that just as waters are flowing fresh from a perennial spring, living waters, so the hope is a living hope, eternally flowing from a perpetual spring. Spring of what? What is that living hope he's talking about? We could open stuff. That's not really living hope, is it? Stuff decays. Stuff fails. Stuff goes away. We're reading from Haggai this morning, and he, he talks about Haggai uh, uh, uses the example of a wage earner putting his money in a bag with a hole in it. That's what happens to our stuff. It falls out. It goes away. It gets used up. It decays and it rots. It withers. That's not the living hope. Maybe it's something that God does that's the living hope. Maybe we have hope that one day he will do something. I don't even think that's the living hope because, well, I need a hope today. Living means right now in the present. Living doesn't mean it will eventually, though it might have that future aspect of being fulfilled. It's got to be present now. No, I need something. Better yet, I need someone to be my hope. Wouldn't it be amazing if there was just someone that we could declare is our living hope? Oh, yeah! Jesus Christ is our living hope, isn't he? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. See, see, we live like Jesus is some sort of attachment that we add on to our life when we need him. But in reality, Jesus Christ is the center of our life. Without Christ, we have no life. So he is our living hope. And we're birthed to that living hope by the initiative of God. God's the one who produces it. He's the one who starts it. He's the one who makes it happen. It's not us. It's him. Our new birth is produced by God. It's also protected by God. Look at verse 4. We're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. He secures our inheritance. You see, the birth that we have in Christ leads us toward an inheritance. And it's an inheritance that has been secured by God. It's an inheritance that we know we can count on. Not because our hope is the inheritance, but because our hope guarantees the inheritance. He secures our inheritance from what? From destruction to an inheritance that is Im imperishable. You know what that means? It ain't going away. 
This is one that can't be taken away. It's untouched by death, one commentator says. He secures our inheritance from destruction. He secures it from defilement too, to an inheritance that is undefiled, without spot or blemish. It's not that we're going to get an inheritance, but it's not as good as it was originally because, you know, you know, some stuff happened to it. We have, um, you've, you've all had the experience where you get someone something and then they mess it up. I'm not going to mention any names because I have uh, four names that I could mention right off and I don't want to embarrass any one of them. But one of them got a Christmas present that was a collectible kind of an item. And I don't know why this person uh, got a collectible kind of item. We didn't buy it for them. Someone else did. And as soon as they saw it, first thing they did was took it out of the package and that basically cut its value down to like a tenth of what it was. And then started playing with it and started losing pieces that went with it. And you just see the value just plummet. <laughs> All within about an hour. That's not the nature of the inheritance we have in Christ. This new birth through which God gives us this inheritance, he also secures it so that it does not get messed up. It's not a second hand. It's not a damaged package. It's not refurbished. God keeps it from defilement. He also secures our inheritance from decay. Does it rot? Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. It, this inheritance untouched by death, unstained by evil, unimpaired by time. Commentator continues, it is compounded of immorality, or immortality, excuse me, of purity and beauty. He secures our inheritance, which means we don't have to wonder if it's going to be there when we get there. We don't have to question, is, is this something that we're going to get actual actually get a hold of or or is it like social security will be gone in 25 30 years is this something i'm actually going to get or is this something that i hope i can get maybe no this is something that's guaranteed not only does he guard our inheritance though he also guards us and how does he guard us look in verse five kept in heaven for you this inheritance is kept in heaven for you watch this who by God's power are being guarded. He guards us by his power. He doesn't just guard our inheritance. He guards us too. He doesn't just make sure that the inheritance stays in place. He protects us along the way to that inheritance. That's why I'm saying that, that our new birth is protected by God. It's not something that we can lose. It's not something that we can mess up. It's not something that we can throw out accidentally. It's not something that we can screw up because God is the one who has secured the inheritance. He's also the one who's guarding us. And he's guarding us by his power. Are you more powerful than God? I'm not. Thank God I'm not. Who wants to worship a God that they can beat up? I can take God and arm wrestling. I know I can. Who wants to worship a God like that? 
I want a God who is so powerful that my knees knock when I think of just how much power he has. I want a God that is unquestionably more powerful than me because it's by that power that this good God is guarding us. Our new birth is, it is produced by God. It's his initiative. It is protected by God. God is the one who is securing it. Our new birth is also proven by God. We know that we know that we know that we know that we know. How do we know? Verse 3. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He raised Jesus from the dead. Here is a God who says, I'm going to give you a new kind of life. And to prove it to you, I'm going to give Jesus a new life. He goes into the grave dead as a doornail. He walks out on the third day, king of the universe. And he walks out because God has raised him from the dead. You might say, but other scriptures say that Jesus rose, like he did it. Yes, he sure did. That's the great thing about being God, right? You can both do it and cause it. You can be both the one in the grave getting up, and you can be the one out of the grave calling forth your son. That's the, that's the good thing about being God. And you can even be the spirit that's, a, that's enlivening and quickening uh, that son to get up out of that grave. He raised Jesus from the dead. So because he raised Jesus from the dead, I've got no doubt he could raise me from the dead. Because he raised Jesus from the dead, I've got no doubt that my little rinky-dink problem is not too big for him to solve. That my, my error is not too big for him to fix. That my shortcoming is not too big for him to overcome. Our new birth is proven by God because he raised Christ from the dead. Not only that, he also gives us a salvation that is ready to be revealed. Look in verse 5. Who by God's power, that's you. Raise your hand, say that's me. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. For what? For a salvation. God's power is the main agent. The primary actor is God in his power. The secondary agent is faith. You go to an insurance agency, you buy a policy. You buy a policy with XYZ Insurance Company. Now, you could call XYZ Insurance Company and get the policy directly. But you know, it really helps to have someone work as an intermediary. Someone you could go to to ask questions. Someone you could go to to weigh out what various needs you have so that you get the right kind of policy. Some agencies work with many different insurance companies. And so you've got someone who can help you price things around. Compare different policies and find out which is the best for you. That's what faith does. Faith acts as that agent that helps connect you to the power God. Any, any of y'all think eggs just grow in grocery stores? 
No, they don't. No, they come from chickens, right? How many of you have seen chickens in a grocery store? Yeah, no. Chickens are on the farm. Or if you live in my neighborhood, they're, they're at my next door neighbor's house. So we get our eggs from over there. We don't even, we don't even shop for eggs most of the time now because they're, they're really moving now. They told us the other day, you want some eggs? We got like nine dozen on the counter. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I guess we'll take one. He said, how about two or three? You know, can I get you more? Eggs don't come from the grocery store. No, we need an intermediary. We need someone who can get the eggs from the farm that we could buy them. See, I don't, I don't, I don't know very many farmers. I don't know someone, I don't know someone who's milking cows and I can just get the milk from them. I don't know someone who is, uh, I don't know someone who's growing cotton to make into shirts. I don't know someone who is uh, building things out of steel or wood. No, I need an intermediary. I need someone who can get that stuff and bring it close so that I can find it and get it. We need an intermediary with God. Faith is that intermediary. Faith is that agent that connects us with God. And that's not even the main point I was trying to get to. That's just a golden nugget in the middle of it. Because the main point I was trying to get to is that that salvation that comes through that faith, that salvation, that, that carton of eggs of salvation that we're going to the grocery store to buy, that salvation, look at this, is ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you know? Do you know that word revealed? Do you know what word that is? It's the word apocalypto. Have you heard that word before? There's an entire book called the Apocalypto of Jesus Christ. It's Revelation. It's the revealing. That whole book is about revealing Jesus Christ. This whole book, this whole Bible is about revealing Jesus Christ. And he is giving us a salvation that is ready. In fact, uh, can, I, can I reword this just slightly? A salvation that is already ready already to be revealed in the last time. It, it's been ready. It's already been made ready and it's just sitting there ready to go as soon as that time comes. Ready when you are. That's exactly what this salvation is. It's, it's something that the author wants you to see that there's no possible way you can do it, so he puts it in the passive, but it's really God who's active. He has made it ready. So from first to last, from the initiation, from the gestation of our new life to the culmination of it is all God's work. So that leads us back to the beginning. Look back at verse 3. Blessed, that's not happy. That's not the same blessed that's in the Beatitudes. Blessed, is, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's not that blessed. This blessed is praised. Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's only, only used of God. See, because we are born again by God's work in us, he deserves all our praise. 
I got to be honest with you, if you're not born again, if you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, um, all this is, I don't want to say it's over your head, but you're not included in this. Doesn't mean you have to not be included. You see, if God is, is pressing on your heart that, hey, hey, I, you don't know me. You haven't been born again. You haven't experienced this new life that this guy up here in this pulpit has been talking about for the last 30 minutes. You don't know that personally. You don't know that from your experience because you've never trusted him. I'm going to tell you something. That is where you should be this morning. You should be at the foot of Calvary on your knees asking God to forgive you for your sins. But if you have... If you have been born again, I think we need to recognize that God is the one who's done it. Give him the praise for it. And then like Haggai tells the people of Israel, think carefully about your ways. Are you living in light of that new birth in the world, but not of the world? It's not enough just to say the prayer. It's not enough just to walk the aisle. It's not enough just to take a bath. You have to actually obey Christ. So what's he calling you to do? Now's the time to do it. Whether it's to trust him, whether it's to be actively involved in his service, whether it's to turn away from sin that has gripped your heart for so long, today's the day. Jim's going to come up here and just sing a verse of a song and invitation. While he comes, stand with us will sing, you do what God wants you to do. Turn to page 598 to 598. <laughs> Take up thy cross and follow me. I heard my master say, I gave my life to ransom thee. Surrender your all today. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Where?